Greetings again to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now in study number four, and we're going to speak again about the heavens and the earth and all kind of relevant scriptures in chapter two and chapter one and other places in the Bible. As we read before that, uh, in verse, two, in verse uh, one of chapter two, we read about the heavens and the earth and the different fulfillments, as I mentioned before that, of this reality. And so in verse one we read, that's the heavens and the earth, and all the hosts of them were finished. In other words, this is, a sec- this is in essence a second time after the creation week. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we read about the fulfillment of the first creation of the heavens and the earth. And then something happened in between, that was the rebellion, as later on we find out, of the holy angels under the leadership of Lucifer, and so... Destruction came upon the earth, and therefore in verse 2 we read that the earth became, uh, or was, which is basically synonymous, uh, in a state of confusion. That is Tohu Babohu in Hebrew. In Job chapter 38 and verses 4 and 7, uh, God is explaining to uh, Job, as we read before, that when he created the heavens and the earth, it was not in a state of confusion, it was in a perfect state and therefore, when the angels saw the creation of the earth, they rejoiced, they shouted with joy. And so we know that was another creation, not the one that came later on. And then in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, we know the story of Lucifer and his rebellion. He was on this earth, it was a glorious place, and he was intending to ascend up to heaven. That's why he was saying, I will ascend up to heaven, I will ascend above uh, the Most High. In other words, he was on this earth, that was the first creation, and that was not good enough for him. He wanted to go all the way up to the top. In Jude, verse 6, we read about the angels that forsook their first estate, in other words, uh, their own proper uh, plantation, you might say. That was their planet Earth. And that was not, again, good enough for them. They followed uh, Lucifer and his rebellion that now became Satan uh, on their way up to heaven, uh, supposedly to dethrone uh, God himself. And in Isaiah 45 and verse 18, he's explaining to us what happened between uh, verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis 1, that God did not create, in other words, when he created the heavens and the earth, he did not create it in a state of chaos and confusion. And in Genesis 1-2, we read that it was now in a state of chaos and confusion. And it's important to know what happened in between. And Isaiah makes it very plain, or at least God is speaking here through Isaiah, he's making it very plain that he did not create the first time the heavens and the earth in a state of confusion. That came later because of the rebellion. And in Jap- in, so we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, and we begin to read now about the recreation week and the finishing of the heavens and the earth in that sense the second time. Now there's something uh, important to understand that, that in verse 1 is we read, in the beginning Elohim created the heaven and the earth, there is an involvement here of more than one being. We find out as we go uh, through the scriptures that there are two of them now. In uh, Colossians, you remember, actually in John chapter 1 first, we read about the reality that there was God in the beginning, and then there was also another being who also was God. In other words, he too was a divine being, and by him all things were created. And then also in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, we read that Elohim, that is God, 
in this case the Father, known as such at this point, created all things by the one that became his son, the one that became Jesus Christ. He was the creator, the actual creator. And in one sense you might say he was the foreman. He was in charge of the actual creation itself. And so when we read that the Spirit of God in chapter 1 and verse 2 was hovering above uh, the face of the waters, and then in verse 3 we read, Then God said, that is Elohim said, Let there be light. We in essence see that the one that was or was to become the Father, and was always known even to his own people in uh, ancient times as our Heavenly Father, he, through the Spirit, that is, the one that became Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, because that person was also a God, that is, a God being, through him he created heavens and the earth. And so when we go to verse 3, then God said, now we are, in essence, dealing with the second person in the divine uh, family of God. And that one became later on Jesus Christ. Uh, the involvement of these two, we can read about in, uh, in the book of John, where the one that became Jesus Christ was introduced in verse 2 of Genesis 1 as the Spirit of God. He says to his people, My father, in verse 17 of uh, chapter 5 of the book of John, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. In other words, the two of us are really involved in it, and from the beginning of time. And so, when you read more of this kind of scriptures, you are able to fill in the details from Genesis 1-1 and so forth. And that's the way God made it. Uh, he wants those who are really interested in working with him to dig very deeply into his word, and those who are willing to do so are illuminated with more understanding as they travel through the history of uh, the creation of men, of the Bible, of the Word of God. And so he continues in uh, verse 19, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. In other words, he says, we are both constantly active. It's not just one doing everything. The two of us are always involved in the creation. And that's why when he says in the beginning Elohim created, you can see what he means. The two of us are always involved in the creation of men and in the affairs of men. Sometimes the Father is introduced as the one doing it directly. Other times the one that became known as Christ is, is introduced as doing it directly. And that's basically the way you understand it. And so he says in verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than this, that you may marvel. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. In other words, the two of them are involved in it, in resurrection, in creation. And so you can fill in the details of Genesis 1. That's why we go back and forth, because there is so much uh, to the story. And verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son. And the simple reason is that the Son is the one really involved in the detailed creation of man and dealing with man himself. And so you inject that into Genesis' uh, story and you get more understanding. In Psalm 104 and verse 30, we read, you send, your, you send forth your spirit, in other words, you, speaking about the Father, you send forth your spirit, 
it's not only the power of God, but it's speaking in specific about the Spirit of God, in other words, the one that is known as Jesus Christ. You send your Spirit, and they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. In other words, God is involved in the creation. God is Spirit, and He uses the power of His Spirit, which is Him, to do the creation. In Psalm 104, in verses uh, 5 and 6, speaks about God laying the foundation of the earth. In other words, God is the one doing it. God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Spirit that is hovering above the waters. And as we covered in the last study, uh, the identity of the Spirit of God. And the context that will tell you whether you're speaking about God himself, referred to as the Holy Spirit, or you're speaking only in terms about the power that he uses, which is also Spirit. In the whole uh, chapter of uh, Psalm 104, we read about more details about the creation week. We're not going to go through that now. So let's go back to Genesis 1 and verses 6 and 8, where we shall cover a little bit more of uh, other parts of the creation of God. In verse 6 we read, Then God, that is Elohim, said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. We need to know what is this firmament. What does it really mean? And its relevance to other scriptures. And God says, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, verse 6, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Uh, what do you mean, a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide between the waters and the waters? Uh, in this scripture, it's not made very plain. Uh, verse 7, Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And so the evening and the morning were the second day. Well, there is to be a background uh, behind these scriptures that later on uh, is being revealed as time goes by. At this point, God did not choose to explain everything. So let's have that background now so we can have a better understanding of this firmament, of what it really means. In Hebrew, the word firmament means rakia. Uh, from that comes the word reka in Hebrew, which means background. And uh, the word rakia in Hebrew means expanse, heaven, or canopy. That is canopy that is made of vapor, of moisture, of uh, fog at times when the moisture is very heavy. And later on in the story we shall see that uh, God is introducing also another element, and that is the clouds. Uh, they were not in existence at this point. The word rakia, or firmament, appears in Hebrew 16 times. And the question is, what does firmament mean and where does it begin? Well, we find out also what it means, already what it means, uh, and now we need to know where does it begin. And the simple reason is that there is quite a bit of confusion about firmament, or as God called it, heaven. What does it mean? What does it refer to? Where is it? There is a lot of misunderstanding about the subject, and that misunderstanding became theology for some people, and a lot of uh, false doctrines were created around it. So we need to have a better understanding of that. Many misunderstand the biblical concept of heaven. Uh, basically, the firmament begins one inch above the ground, because that's basically where you find the moisture. That's where you find the clouds, uh, sometimes as they go all the way down to the ground. Some, this is where we find the fog. This is where you find the uh, uh, either dense type of uh, weather condition where 
it's wet in the air, so to speak. You know, you can go outside sometimes after the rain and you feel the wetness, and it's up in the air, not only on the ground. And that's, in essence, that makes possible for leaves and uh, trees and plants to survive because they draw uh, from the moisture that is in the air, that is in the firmament, that is, if you please, in the heaven, and that's how they survive. And uh, remember the story about the manna that came down from heaven. Well, it didn't come all the way from the throne of God. It came from the air. In other words, that's where God uh, created it, and it came down on, uh, on the ground, and people were able to eat it. And supposedly it comes from heaven, but it's not the heaven of heavens. It's not the throne of God. So it has to be understood for what it means. Because there are many concepts of heaven, and there is a lot of uh, misunderstanding there. Now, let's uh, have uh, some scriptures that uh, describe heaven in that sense. In Exodus chapter 19, remember when God came down to Mount Sinai and he spoke to his people. We read that when he came down to Mount Sinai, his feet stood on the mount, and from there he spoke to his people. And so in chapter 19, we read in verse uh, 20 that... The Lord, it says, then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now God comes down to the Mount of Sinai. He stands on the mountain, and he calls Moses up to the mountain, up from the ground where Israel were all around. And in verse 20, that is chapter 20, and verse 22, we read something very interesting. How does God describe that area that he was standing on on Mount Sinai? In verse 22 we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven, from the Shemaim. Now, what is he speaking about? He's talking about the reality that when you are on the ground, everything above the ground, above where you stand, is heaven. In other words, when you look up, if you're on the ground, lying down on the ground, a few inches above it, you're already in heaven, so to speak. You're looking at a heaven. But it's not talking about the heaven of heavens, the throne of God. So it has to be understood properly. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 36, Moses is repeating uh, the same statement as he's describing it to the second generation. He says, You saw how out of heaven... He made, speaking about God, he made you to hear his voice. And again, what is he talking about? The heaven that he's speaking about is the Mount of Sinai. Because it was above the ground. Israel were around the mountain. They were on the ground. So anything above them was considered heaven. And that's how the Bible considers the concept of heaven. It has to be understood from that point of view. Uh, later on in Second Kings chapter 2 and verses 1 and 11, you know the story about Elijah. It says that when the time came for Elijah to go up to heaven, and people who do not understand, don't have the background, don't know the context, they don't understand the meaning. And they think, oh, Elijah went up to heaven, speaking about the heavens of God. No, Elijah didn't go up to heaven, this isn't what he's speaking about. He's talking about the heavens that we just described. Into the air, into the sky. Every time you take an airplane, you fly someplace, you go up to heaven. But you don't go to God. You just go up to heaven, that is the atmosphere, and then you come down. And that's, in essence, what it's speaking about, and has to be understood from that point of view. In the case of Elijah, we know that when Elijah went up to heaven, so to speak, with the chariots of fire, he also came down. And how do we know it? Well, several years later, 
in Second Chronicles chapter 21 and verses 12 and 16, we read about Elijah, who dealt with King Ahab, sending a letter to the son of King Jehoshaphat, who was during the time of King Ahab. He sent him a letter, and now Jehoram is the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So Elijah is sending a letter to King Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And obviously, Elijah is still upon the earth. He didn't go up to heaven, so to speak, to the throne of God. He just was transported from one place to another. If you remember, there were other cases where people went up, so to speak, into, uh, into the air or uh, transported from one place to another. Ezekiel was transported many times by the Spirit to the city of Jerusalem, and God showed him certain uh, visions there in Jerusalem. So he was transported by the Spirit. Philip, in the book of Acts, also was transported by the Spirit from one place to another, and therefore the eunuch couldn't see him. As soon as uh, the eunuch was baptized, it says the Spirit transported uh, Philip and took him away. And, you know, uh, that is, uh, the eunuch could not see him anymore, because that's basically what happened. It's not that he went up to heaven, to the God of heavens, to his throne. He was just transported from one place to another. You know, that, those were the airplanes of the time, so to speak. And that's, that's what you read about uh, heaven in different other places. And so people have to understand the concept of heaven because there is a lot of misunderstanding there. In Amos chapter 1, the book of Amos, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 9, we read also about uh, a statement about heaven, which many people misunderstand, misunderstand not having a proper understanding of uh, what is it that God speaks about when he talks about heaven. Let's go to the book of Amos in chapter 9. And there we read about the punishment that God is going to bring upon his people Israel. And in verse 1 he say, uh, we read, And I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the doorposts that the threshold may, may shake, and break them on the heads of them all, speaking about the people. And I will slay the last of them with the sword, and he who flees from them shall not get away. Now, God is going to describe the different places his people are going to hide in order to avoid the punishment. And so he says, he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, that is, into the grave, though they go into underground hiding places, into caves, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, now by now what he's talking about, what heaven is talking about, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, that is Mount Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. Though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and I will slay them. In other words, nobody is going to hide anywhere upon the face of the earth, or if you go up to the mountain thinking you're going up to heaven. Uh, of course, by now you understand what it really means. Uh, some people uh, look at that scripture without context, without background, and begin to imagine, oh, nowadays people can go, now, go up you know, with spaceships, up into other uh, planets. No, he's not talking about that at all. He's talking about people on planet Earth, going either up on mountains, which is a heaven. Anytime you climb above the ground, you're in heaven. And that's basically what he's talking about. Uh, while we're on the subject, let's cover another concept or another understanding of the word firmament, which is also means heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22, we see the throne of God descending on the earth, and Ezekiel is looking at it, and he's describing it in chapter 1. He says, The likeness of the firmament 
above the head of the living creatures. In other words, he sees God sitting on a throne, and the throne was on top of a firmament that is an expense, that is a canopy. And that's what he says. The likeness of the firmament above the head of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal. In other words, he's looking at that structure there that God is uh, sitting on, and he's describing it, in Hebrew he says, uh, awesome uh, eyes. And in English was transla- translated to crystal. In other words, it was so clear that it looked like uh, the, the stone crystal. And that too is called firmament. And in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6, he's speaking about the same reality, only here he's calling it the sea of glass. And that's basically, again, is a firmament. This is the traveling throne of God. And it's a clear, just like the air is clear, just like the ice is clear, so is that firmament. It's a clear expanse. And that's in essence what he's talking about in Genesis 1, when God made a separation between the water that is under the firmament and the water that is above the firmament. That clear area that has moisture in it, that has fog in it now and then, that has clouds in it now and then, that's called the firmament, and that's the heaven God is talking about. And it's not uh, the heaven of God, the throne of God. And so we're back to chapter uh, 2, and in verses 4 and 6, we read uh, also about another aspect of the creation, in verse 4 we read, we're going to, speak, uh, to skip chapter uh, 2 and verses 2 and 3, which speak about the Sabbath. It's a long subject. I will come back to it uh, later. In verse 4 we read, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In other words, the creation week. Now, this is what happens. At that time, before any plant of the field was in the earth, And before any herb of the field had grown, in other words, in chapter 1 and verse 11, you read about the creation of the herbs and the plants, which happened on the third day, and the first and the second day deals with the the heavens and the earth. In other words, at that time, between the second day and the third day, before any plant was on the earth, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. At that time, he says, between second day and third day, in verse 6, a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. In other words, there was a reality that scientists uh, nowadays, uh, they're called uh, creation scientists, discovered an awful lot of uh, interesting details about it. Those who are interested in science should go to it. I'm not going to cover much of that at this point. That's not the subject. But anyway, uh, there was right above the ground a very, very heavy, dense fog, you might say, that if you walked through it, you wouldn't be able to see your way. And, and so God made sort of a separation between the waters that were on the ground and the heavy moisture which he raised higher, and in between he made it clear. So when animals walked by, when man that was created walked by, he should be able to see where he's going. And that's in essence where the firmament was created, between the ground, that is from ground zero, and up. And so that's what the heavens is all about. Now this is the heavens that is above men. And then there is the heaven of heavens, and that's a totally different uh, reality and different uh, location. And people who have no background, no understanding, when they read about the word heaven, in this case, or that case, in the case of Elijah, or the case of Enoch, they misunderstand it, and they begin to create all kinds of scenarios. 
Uh, we have to have a better understanding of that, and that's in essence what we are trying to do in this uh, study of the book of the law. They have a better understanding of many of the scriptures. And so we find ourselves that God is creating or recreating or finishing the heavens and the earth, and until now we are reading about the second uh, fulfillment. Now, this period of time of the moisture that is above the ground, now being separated, becoming lighter, and still watering the, the face of the earth, and no clouds yet on the earth, lasted in essence a period of 1,500 years. At least that's where we understand it. And the reason for that is very simple. No introduction of clouds is mentioned, the reality of it, and no rain is in existence, so to speak, because of the mist that was there until later. Up to that time, apparently it was a very misty reality for humanity and for the beasts of the field. It's very interesting uh, to see even today, uh, about two years ago or so, my wife and I went to China, and we saw something very interesting. Wherever we traveled in China, it was very misty everywhere. And what struck me uh, uh, there, while seeing millions and millions of people, that they hardly had sunglasses on. I hardly saw even one pair of sunglasses on any Chinese there. And the reality is that you can't really see the sun very well there, so there is no need for sunglasses. And maybe that's why uh, the skin of uh, the Chinese people seem to be so smooth. And maybe that's the reason why also, among other reasons, uh, why people lived during that period of time, the first 1,500 years, a very, very long time. They were well, well, well preserved, and the sun didn't dry their skin, and uh, who knows what else uh, went into it. Anyway, that's a different uh, subject. And so in Genesis chapter 9 and verses uh, 13 and 14, we read about the first introduction of the clouds. And obviously, when the flood began, that's when the rain began. And that's when the clouds, in essence, appeared. And until that time, men didn't see clouds, men didn't see rain, and so it was very strange for them to hear from Noah that God is going to bring a flood, and they couldn't see how can the mist that they had all around them, that they were familiar with, suddenly become a flood that will cover the face of the whole earth. So there was no faith there, so obviously they could not believe it. Uh, Noah operated by faith, and so he knew that if God is going to bring such a reality, he's going to bring it. And so, when he went into the ark, that's when the first clouds appeared, and that's when the first rain appeared above the ground. And so, in chapter 9, and verses 13, we read something new. Uh, God says to Noah, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth, and it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth. Up to that point, clouds were not on the earth as a reality. Now it's something new. After 1,500 years of the history of men, he says, when I bring the clouds over the earth, that the rainbow be singing. And that was the covenant that he made between, as it says, verse 15, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And so that was a new reality. And this is what we basically see as a part of the second fulfillment of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And now we go to the third fulfillment of the, in essence, recreation of heaven and earth. 
And so we read again in chapter 2 and verse 1 that the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. We read about the prophetic fulfillment of this statement. We covered the first two. And so we are going now to the third one and then after that to the fourth one. Now, let's go to the third one, which will happen. In essence, the first one happened long, long time ago. Nobody knows exactly when. Some are trying to predict how long ago the heavens and the earth were first brought into existence. The second one we know, about 6,000 years ago, that was a recreation week from the days of Adam and Eve. And the third time, in essence, happened 6,000 years later. And so, we'll go to the third one. And at this point, we again find out the state of the earth, as we can read in the prophets, as we can read in uh, other uh, statements in the New Testament, Matthew 24 and other places. Again, the earth is going to get to a point where it's not necessarily going to be exactly as it happened in, uh, after the destruction of the rebellion of the angels, but we're going to see an earth that is totally devastated in a state of chaos and confusion. Now, when the flood came upon the face of the earth 1,500 years later, the earth was not necessarily in a state of chaos and confusion. The water just came, inundated everything, destroyed everything, but it was not destruction that comes from warfare, that comes from people fighting against one another, that comes from hatred and malice and darkness. It was totally different. It was God himself in charge of that destruction. And so, it was in a different category. But now again, man is going to be involved in this destruction. The evil spirits are going to be involved in this destruction, where kingdom shall rise against kingdom, and nation against nation, and there's going to be burning upon the face of the earth, and all kind of uh, nuclear holocaust, and awesome destruction. And then we read about the day of the Lord, where God is going to bring an awful lot of destruction upon the face of the earth. So now, we find again an earth, that is, in essence, like in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. An earth, earth that is in a state of chaos and confusion. Tohu vabohu. Well, when that comes to that point, God, again, has to renew the face of the earth. And we read about many prophecies about this matter. We're not going to go into uh, so many details. There is so much. You can read it in the... You can read about it in uh, the last chapters of uh, Ezekiel, in the last chapters of uh, Isaiah, the 20 chapters of Isaiah, beginning from uh, chapter, I believe, 35 and to the end, to 65 or 66. Jeremiah speaks about the same thing. In other words, a time that after the destruction, after the punishment, after the chaos and confusion, God is going to renew the face of the earth and is going to make it again look like the Garden of Eden. And so we find ourselves again in this statement in Isaiah chapter 65. Let's go to this section here and read it because now God is going to bring back his people. He punished them. He brought great destruction on the earth. He allowed Satan to do his work on the earth. But now God is ready to renew the face of the earth uh, in this case, first he's renewing the heart of men, and in the process, he's renewing the face of the earth. And so we're in chapter 65, in specific, in verse, verses 17 and 19, this 
third fulfillment, or at least uh, describing it, of chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 1. That is the finishing of the heaven and the earth, this time, the third time. In verse 17 we read, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. Now, the heavens and the earth are already in existence. What is he talking about? Obviously, he's not talking about creating stars and planets and galaxies and earth and plants and grass and animals and so forth. No, he's talking about a renewal process of the heavens and the earth because there's going to be an awful lot of destruction and we don't know how much destruction is going to be not only on the earth itself but the atmosphere above the earth. You're going to find a lot of burning, a lot of volcanoes erupting, you're going to have a lot of uh, weapons blown in, in all directions. That's going to pollute the atmosphere. And there is going to be a lot of renewal to make it habitable again for humanity. And from chaos and confusion and hell, hell on earth, so to speak, to make it paradise. And that's in essence what he's saying here in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered to come or come to mind. In other words, the people that have seen the, all the devastation and, and set in their minds, that's the end. This is the end of the earth. There can't be any more. Nothing is here. Everything is gone. And God says, no, you're going to totally forget about the state of chaos and confusion in which you found yourself because of your own iniquities and because of the destruction that you brought upon each other. He says, you are going to totally forget about that because I'm going to create new heavens and a new earth. And so in verse 18 he says, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For, I be, for behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. In other words, he's saying, yes, the earth is going to be destroyed. Israel is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The cities of the earth are going to be destroyed. As you read in Revelation and also in the prophets, there is going to be an earthquake, earthquake upon this earth that has never been before and is going to devastate all the cities of the earth, all the mountains, all the hills. Everything is going to be toppled because God now is going to recreate everything, make it all new. And so he's creating a new Jerusalem. And it's going to allow men also to rebuild the cities. And so there's going to be a recreation of the whole earth. And he's going to heal the ground itself that has been polluted and defiled. And he's going to straighten, as it says, elevate the valleys, lower the mountains, make the earth habitable for humanity in a glorious setting. And so he says in verse 19, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people, the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Verse 20, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years, but the sinner being 100 years shall be accursed. Well, again, people uh, read these scriptures and they invent uh, new theology around it. I'm not going to go into this at this point. That's not the subject. But in essence, God is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And here he's talking, again, as I said, about the third fulfillment. Let's go to chapter 66. We continue more about it. And in verses 22 and 23, uh, all these chapters, by the way, as I said before, uh, the last 20 chapters 
of uh, Isaiah speak about the restoration of the heavens and the earth, the restoration of Israel, the restoration of mankind. And in verses 22 and 23 of Isaiah we read, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh, remember, all flesh, is not talking about all spirit beings, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. In other words, humanity is being renewed, the earth is being renewed, this is speaking about the time when the Creator comes down to this earth, the Messiah of Israel, of the whole earth, and is going to renew the face of the earth, just like it says after Genesis 1.1, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering above the waters, and then verse 3, and God says, let there be light. You're seeing a reenactment of that in that sense. The Spirit of the Lord, in this case, again, God Himself, who is the Spirit of the Lord, the one that is the Father, he again comes to this earth and is renewing the face of the earth. And he's saying, let there be light. You see? So you can see the sun again. And he's healing the earth. And he's renewing the face of the earth. And he's causing trees and plants and flowers and herbs again to grow. And he's going to allow men to have a glorious setting to make it possible not only for uh, men, but for the beasts of the field, again, to have life on this earth, the life that he meant for them to have all the way, but in the rejection of his path, they brought on them the destruction that forces him, in that sense, to have the, the third fulfillment of the recreation of the heavens and the earth. Uh, we read more about it in the, in the New Testament, where Peter is referring to that very subject again, and in the second book, of Peter, and chapter 3, this is what we read. Peter is writing to the strangers abroad. In other words, he's, he's writing to the children of Israel, because, remember, Peter was uh, the apostle to the circumcision, not to the uncircumcision. So he's basically reminding them of scriptures, of knowledge, which they've had long ago. They knew it all along. It's not something new to them. And so he's reminding them of what the prophet said. And so in chapter 3, this is what we read in verses 10 and 13. Chapter 3 of Second Peter. He's speaking to the people, and this is what he tells them. In verse 10, actually in chapter 9, uh, that is in verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. And this destruction that is coming upon Israel, upon all the nations, is what created the chaos and confusion, is what created the necessity to renew the face of the earth, and for God to come down and do just that, since no man is going to be able to do that. And so God says he's not really interested in anyone to perish, neither Israel, nor the nations, but he is interested that all should come to repentance. And so verse 10 he says, but the day of the Lord will come. So he's speaking about the coming of Christ. As it thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. In other words, because of the destruction that is coming upon planet earth, first, by men, with the help of Satan and his demons, all the chaos and confusion that will fill again the face of the earth, and then the day of the Lord, this in essence what will happen. Uh, the heaven and the earth are going to be affected by it, and that's what he's talking about, you know, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt, in other words, the earth will witness a great devastation because of the volcanic eruptions and uh, nuclear bombs and everything else, and men will explode, and then the utter destruction that God is going to bring by supernatural forces on the earth, and that's in essence what he's telling them. Uh, there is going to be a total destruction, but not total destruction where no human being is left alive, but a great destruction that will necessitate the third fulfillment of the recreation of the heaven and the earth. And so in verse 13 continues, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And he's not talking about a thousand years later, when all humanity becomes spirit beings, and the new heaven and new earth, he's talking only about the third fulfillment. God is going to come down to this earth, renew the face of the earth, clear the mess and debris in the atmosphere, say again, let there be light, and create paradise all over again. The Garden of Eden, so to speak, on this earth, to make it possible for humanity to be alive. And that, in essence, is the fulfillment of the third uh, time of the recreation of the heavens and the earth. And if you want details, I'm sure you already know plenty of those. All you have to do is just read, read through the prophets with a describing detail how glorious, how beautiful the earth is going to be all over again. God is going to restore his people Israel to their land, rebuild Jerusalem. Ezekiel, the last eight chapters, speak in detail, uh, at least many graphic details, about the glory and the restoration of Jerusalem, the restoration of the people of Israel, the resettlement of all the remnant of Israel, according to their tribes, from the Euphrates to the Nile, the, that is the river of Egypt, and the paradise that the land will become, and then also all the other nations who would want to follow in that path that Israel now will finally do as he was supposed to from Sinai and never did, and they too will experience the paradise condition that will come upon all of humanity. And so it's a process that will continue for many years, the recreation of the heaven and the earth, until the whole earth is again paradise. And that, in essence, is the fulfillment of the third one. And now we go to the last fulfillment of uh, the recreation, of the fulfillment of the heaven and the earth, that we read in Genesis 2 and verse 1. And this time we go to the book of Revelation and chapter 21. And throughout the book of Revelation, you read about the destruction of, so to speak, the heaven and the earth. In other words, uh, because of the war and bloodshed and the destruction by men, and Revelation really, in essence, uh, concentrates on the day of the Lord, that is the last year of destruction where God is going to be involved in the personal destruction of planet earth, everything that is upon it, and the recreation of it because of all the violence that is upon the face of the earth, the corruption that is in the, in the, not only in human life, but also the corruption in the, in the world of animals, and the bestiality that is all around, and the devouring creatures and so forth, 
and what man has done to humanity and what man has done also to the beast of the field. Well, God is going to renew all that. And so that, that's basically the context. And so when we go to Revelation 21, we're reading about the final restoration. At this time, it is a thousand years later, man is resurrected, and Satan is allowed to do his work for a short time, and all over again, man rebels, at least a part of humanity, and they march toward Jerusalem, they want to destroy, they want to bring, uh, so to speak, down uh, the kingdom of God, uh, the saints, you know, the people of God, they want to devastate Jerusalem and take over. Well, and so after that occurs, we read about the second resurrection in chapter 20. And so we finish with chapter 21, where we read, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And so in essence, this is the end of the story. This is the fulfillment of the fourth renewal of the heaven and the earth. Uh, next time we'll go back again to chapter 3 or chapter 2 of Genesis and we'll continue from that point. And until then, this is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.